First Generation Burden, a series of conversations with immigrants and the children of immigrants. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. So this is episode 22 and it's another special drop, not in our usual seasonal format. Uh, and it's special because it features artist and entrepreneur Sophia Chang. You may know her through her various creative pursuits like collaborations with Adidas, Infinity, Stella McCartney, Puma, and most recently Doc Martens. And she also just started her own agency called We Ascend. She also art directs the magazine platform Undo Ordinary, which focuses on empowerment through the lens of health and wellness. And today we talk about her Taiwanese upbringing in Queens, New York, and how her lifelong interest in hip-hop and streetwear helped make her the creative force that she is today. But before we begin, I want to thank our sponsor, Des Gin. Des Gin is an American modern gin with a mission to unite design with the spirit industry. Designed both inside and out, it merges the traditional and the unconventional. So this was a really fun conversation. Uh, we just kicked it and talked a lot about growing up as Asians in America, really. What I find interesting about Sophia, and uh, and I say it in the episode too, is that she's taken her interests and made a great uh, entrepreneurial footprint with them. Um, it's really a beautiful thing to see, and it was great to get her to talk about that. So here's our conversation with Sophia Chang. Okay, perfect. This is good. Cool. So how long have you been doing it for? Oh, since 2016, actually. Damn, really? I know. Well, I did it. Hold I'm on. like, am I missing something here? No, it's you're not the missing algorithm. anything. The algorithm is what's fucking me. <laughs> Always blame it on the algorithm. Yeah, exactly. I blame everything on the algorithm. I've been doing it since 2016, literally two days after Donald Trump got elected. Mm, and a then, lot of things started after then. Exactly. Yeah. That's when that's when the rage started. And I just wanted to talk to people from different walks of life because the all the rhetoric around um, immigrants and um, and essentially the other was just so you know, toxic. And I wanted to do something that... Toxic? How so? Oh, toxic. Oh, just because of all the the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like all the... Like everything about, um, you know, the, the dangers of, of immigration within this country. The quote-unquote dangers of immigration in this country. And um, um, all that uh, right-wing uh, toxicity just kind of kind of got to me. And then I just wanted to do something like this. I wasn't sure how to frame it or how to do anything with it. And then... If you ever need a podcast space, yeah. there's also Chinatown Market. I'm close with the guys there. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking into doing some stuff down there. Yeah, if you need, easy, like super okay. easy. Because we started a podcast too for Undo because podcast is a thing. It's sure, a sure, medium sure. format and we do everything out of there. The guys oh, are great. great. Also great immigrant story, obviously. How often all do you guys them. record? Weekly, bi-weekly. Really? Yeah. But you're not here that often. Yeah, but we have people that just handle it. Like host, like a, a host. We power it. We put it on our platform, but we have different hosts. If you ever want to host it, obviously there's something too. It's right. more so under the spectrum of like health and wellness, but you know we Got include it. creatives in it and stuff like that. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So Sophia Chang, thanks for swinging by. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, it's an honor to have you here. It's an honor to be in the presence of Rich Two, <laughs> ADC, MTV. Nike. Oh uh, yeah, a lot the of acronyms. The list goes on. Yeah, I suppose. Thank you. Um, ooh, it's really warm in here all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> for for all the love. So, um, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to why I wanted to have you on here is because I think you have an amazing story, and I think I, I love your work, and also I love your contributions to to this culture, and I think I, I also love what you represent. So, um, typically here we just we start with our guests telling us a little bit about where they're from and who they are, and then we just go from there. So I'm born and raised in New York. Um, I've been here for the majority of my entire life. I went to, 
every type of schooling, including college here. Um, I have relocated to Los Angeles, California as of four years ago, and I've been back and forth since, and I've had the luxury of being able to travel back home here in New York uh, once a month, uh, just mainly because of work. Right. Which is Once a month is a lot. Once a month is a lot, you know, by coastal life, it's a lot more tiring than it sounds. It's not as luxurious and great, um, but it's, and my heart's mainly in New York. I actually got married two years ago. Yes, I knew that. Congratulations. I Thank know you. two years late. Yes, it's okay. Um, so I got married. His work's mainly there, so I'm there, but my heart's in New York. I'm a New Yorker. I'm a city dweller. So it comes with its challenges. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's the main thing in terms of where I'm from, where I'm at. Um, creatively, professionally, I'm an illustrator and designer by trade. Um, in recent years, I've moved a little bit more into like the strategy marketing realm just through different work opportunities. So on a day-to-day, I have my personal work and personal brand, personal illustration stuff. I also have a health and wellness platform called Undo Ordinary that kind of exists mainly as a community, first and foremost, a digital platform and also a biannual publication. Right. Um, And the key to that was really just uh, working so much and seeing that my body was breaking down. I needed to go to the gym. Going to the gym got me into eating better and it just opened up this world of wellness. And then I realized my immediate community a world that I come from, which is mainly kind of like street culture, fashion, there's no such dialogue when it comes to health and wellness. So repackaging um, and adjusting the way that that visual language looks like right. through art and design and also just through that, also changing the way that people digest health and wellness information. Sure. Um, so there's Undo. And then lastly, I have a small creative agency that I started with my business partner who also works on Undo with me. Um, that's called We Ascend. Uh, that stemmed from me doing a lot of work, uh, kind of always being in the spotlight, which is great. But at the same time, I have this really beautiful, extremely talented community of, uh, mass, just diversity of, of diverse options of creatives. And so, uh, the agency is really aimed at getting them work. And so how can we all work together and chase that check rather than just keeping it for ourselves? And I've had the pleasure of being able to work with some of the top companies in the world. And so I'm kind of using those avenues to get work for my community. Wow. So really doing it for the culture, but putting my money where my mouth is. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that's that's a, that's a great way to segue into this because I, I feel that you're one of the great doers within that community that also has a lot of swirling energy around you where, where people where you can help facilitate creativity on a much larger scale outside of yourself. And I think you're doing a lot of great things that are that are helping to facilitate that. And then and then feeding that energy back and that energy is feeding you. And it's like a really beautiful thing to see all of that. Yeah. I appreciate that you get it. Cause a lot of people don't get it and it's, and oh, what I don't think, they get? I think it's just confusing because first of all, people want to put you in boxes, right? They want to label you. It's the, easy, it's the easiest way for digestion, which is great. Um, and I, I struggle with that as well because people then oftentimes get overwhelmed by, by me. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I do so much creatively. Right. Overwhelmed by your me. offering or overwhelmed by what? Well, like, well, like 
you know, people see me and they're like, okay, tiny Asian girl, Asian American, <laughs> born and raised in New York, streetwear, fashion, culture, right. web design, illustration, graphic design, print magazine, wellness. Right. Like, it's a lot. It is a to lot. To me, it makes sense because I'm working, I'm taking meetings, I'm doing stuff, I'm going to the gym, and then, you know, I hang out with friends and we dance to hip hop and rap music. To totally. me, that's a lifestyle. It makes I know a little, sense. a little bit about all that stuff. Right. Yeah. But like, from the outside looking in and and now that culture is now very mainstream right yes. we all know that and people are uh, like they understand it better but when it when we're talking about corporate a lot of decision makers a lot of i, I just come across a lot of people who are just like oh okay and it's just kind of like slight side eye i'm not quite sure but okay cool and then and and i think that's that response has gained, you know, I've, I've come across it a lot more being right. in Los Angeles. Yes. In New York, I think people know, they get it. I can apply when needed and cool, we're good, right. you know, and it's very clear and direct versus in Los Angeles, this, there's been um, just a lot of struggle really getting people to understand what the hell it is you do. Right. Oh, that's because of the the pace of which things move out there or I guess the hustle I, I culture. Really, I don't actually really know. I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons and I've spent a good amount of time trying to ponder <laughs> what the answer is. Sure. But at the same time, I, I, you know, check myself really quickly. Like, let's, let's just keep it moving. Let's keep doing our job. We do it well. And then that's it. And kind of evolve organically in that format. But, you know, I, I think a lot of times too, people just because, they can't do it doesn't mean I can't do it. Sure. Yeah, I think that's, that's been a great my way approach. to be empowered. Yeah. Um, so can we take it back a little bit? So tell me a little bit about growing up in New York because I'm I'm fascinated right now currently uh, about the uh, the culture of the Asian growing up in New York. You know, because I think right now, and let me know if you think I'm wrong, I think that the 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 creative community is embracing the offering of a, a creative Asian in, in a lot of forms currently, right? And I think New York uniquely has the melting pot um, uh, community that, you know, fosters like a, you're, you're a global citizen here just by virtue of physically being here, right? And then now the world is understanding what that offering is. And um, again, like what you do is, is a really great funnel outward towards that. So like, tell us a little bit about like what it was like actually growing up in Queens and a little bit about those origins. So I'm from Flushing, Queens, which um, I'm born in the late 80s. And the time that I was growing up, um, it it was it wasn't as Asian as it is now, right. right? Right now, it's very predominantly Asian. When I was growing up, we still had a Dr. J's, we had a coconuts, which is kind of like a fries, like you know, music. We had a the Wiz coconuts <laughs> way back in the day. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was. I grew very- up in New Jersey, so. Right, 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 right. So it was very, but do you know what Coconuts is? Um, it's I, like a music, it's just a music store. You could get your CDs from there. Got it. Like a Sam Goody? We're yeah, yeah, like yeah. like Sam Goody yeah, or yeah, yeah. Alwick. But even more like the next tier down. <laughs> more <laughs> local tier. Got Definitely it, a got chain. It. You know, we still have our Models, um, which is good. So when I was growing up, very diverse. Um, and you know, that really what makes me reminisce about the city a lot, you know, right. since, uh, since relocating. But I was able, it was so blessed to be able to grow up in this environment where it's super diversity starting from as soon as I started going to school from kindergarten to all of grade school, all of our class photos are extremely diverse down to lunchtime. You know, you get to try the Indian kids, friends, people get to try my food. And, um, my ethnicity is, uh, Taiwanese. Mm -hmm. 
even though I just did 23andMe and found out that I'm 4% Native American, kind of oh, cool. Oh, get out. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How in-depth of those I didn't gene- click that genealogical much. details? <laughs> I didn't click that much. I didn't look into it that much, but I just, I ha- I, ha- I haven't really fully dove into it yet but is that pure, purely biology biology i think so yeah strictly so it's it's kind of fun um so when did your family emigrate here um my my dad came here for university he actually uh studied at notre dame for college as Whoa. a full immigrant rudy and then uh went was going to pursue a phd in columbia before his brother unfortunately passed away from leukemia and so, you know, that definitely put some financial troubles on the family. And so I think he had to like withdraw from that. But he's worked in the city ever since, literally commuting from Flushing, taking walking to the bus, taking the bus, taking the train all the way to downtown Wall Street. And he worked as a civil engineer for the city. So majority yeah. of the bridges, uh, underpasses, overpasses, it was kind of his work and okay, involvement. No. So he's a math guy, you know. My, my, <laughs> my dad's side was very like... All um, academia, very, very heavy in that. Like even when my grandfather passed away, the the eulogy was basically reading off his resume. <laughs> so it's a, it's still very traditional. And then my mom was more of, um, she was in an entertainment business. She was a singer, so it was a very rags oh, to riches cool. story from Taiwan. Wow. Um. So she she, you know, she was in entertainment in Taiwan. Yes, in Taiwan, but then traveled the world as a performing artist that's amazing so she's very captivating very entertaining knows how to woo the crowd and i think that's where i learned to turn it on and turn off um no she's more of a singer performer gotcha. kind of thing does she have like little little uh movement things that yeah. indicate that yeah, she yeah, had, yeah yeah because like, my fiance she was a ballet dancer uh-huh. so sometimes when she just literally is like you know uh making eggs or something her toes will be pointed out and her leg will be at like a 40 degree angle or something she doesn't even realize she's doing it so yeah it's very organic so I kind of grew up in this very polar opposite type of environment right Right. their values are very different my mom's a people person she can care less what you're wearing she's she lived the luxe life but she's not about it she's still she she <laughs> She has this very hood mentality. Like, I'll keep cash in my bra. Let me... Oh, it's free? I'm going to take it. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Was it a Taiwan thing or was that a Queens thing? I mean, I think that that came from my mom. And then, like, being in Queens obviously only fostered it more. This idea of I'm going to make the best of my situation. Always looking for a loophole. Always looking for a solution. And that can... I think it wasn't just Queens. It was just New York as a whole. But Queens specifically... I, you know, was blessed enough to grow up in this environment where it was so diverse, right? right? So we're learning about all sorts of culture. And in grade school, when you go to your friend's houses after school, when your mom actually lets you, you know, you're hanging out at like in a Latin home. You're hanging out in, um, you know, a black home. And it's just different because the routine that you have around dinner time is different from the routine that you have in different homes, you know? And, and then of course, as a parent, your mother, your parents also instill in you, this is how you should behave in other people's homes. Sure. Hopefully. Right. Nowadays, I don't know, but back then, you know, whether it's dishes or praying before your meal. And I think it growing up in New York city, it just opens your eyes to so many different cultures at such an early age. Right. Versus now as an adult, you're like, I've never tried Ethiopian food. I'm going to try that out. Versus you organically get to do that when you, go to people's houses at such a young age. Yeah. So that obviously carried with me throughout um, 
you know, junior high, high school. And then college was obviously a big eye opener because right. I left this bubble that I came from. I never really ventured into the city. Um, oh, when was the first age. time you rode the train? I don't quite remember. Um, I remember going to like a church day camp okay. when I was growing up, starting from like maybe being like nine, 10 years old. So we would take the train on school trips. Also, even in like elementary school, when we went on, you know, you get to go to the Bronx Zoo. Sure, sure. You get oh, to when was the first the- time you rode the train by yourself? Do you remember that Ooh. moment? Because I think about that a lot. Like when I went from Jersey to New York for the first time, I was 13. I took a bus and I remember it dropped me off at 6th, 6th Ave and 18th um, so I could go to Grace Papaya. And you, you know what I mean? And then it was like a whole thing. I think most of the trips that I had, I actually don't remember when I took the train by myself, but most of the trains that I took was with friends. So gotcha. we, we, I, when I started venturing into the city, it was in good company. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when did you uh, start wanting to, because you went to Parsons for undergrad, yes. So when did you want to venture into a, a creative space? My whole life, actually. Really? I always drew in arts. In, in elementary school, I was always that girl that drew. I had that med notebook, black and white. I wanted to be a fashion designer. I've always had all these fashion drawings for as long as I've known. At dinner time, Chinese people lay out the newspaper mm-hmm. when we eat our meal, and I would draw over portraits of people and that's how I got really good at like portraiture when I was in school I always had trouble focusing and so I would just draw my hands and different um you know objects around me and I would entertain myself through art and design and um I also am an only child so I didn't really grow up with a lot of people close to my my specific age group which at at an early age that makes a big difference so that was kind of just my escape and form of entertainment for myself right um and then when it kind of got serious was you know when we were all applying to college right um ironically I actually photoshopped my SAT scores so that it already started out (laughs) no Oh, you did not. I photoshopped my SCT scores. I also photo. I would photoshop fake, um, uh, like hall passes for people so they could like do l- their lunch breaks. Okay, at wait, a wait, period. wait. So we can't let the SAT score thing go. So, who, 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 what did you photoshop your SAT score to be? I'm a very bad test taker. So all of my grades were good except math. I am not a math person. I'm not a math like person in New either. York, I almost in, went to summer school for math. Yes. And well, I went to, I had to, I got, I failed gym one semester and I had to go to summer and school you're in for wellness gym. Now. Ironic, right? Um, so yeah, no, I, uh, I, I would always be passing. So I don't know how Jersey does their scores. Is it numbers? Um, it's well, I know that I'm, I, I'm, I'm some years older than you, so it's possible that my SATs was a different. Well, no, no, no. I, I meant like SATs. Oh, I meant in school. Like for oh. example, um, sixty-five was passing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, sixty-five was passing. Yes. In the West Coast, they do letters. In other parts of the states, they do like A, B, C, C minus. Oh, we do C+. A, B, C. Right. Okay. So we don't do that. But I we went to numbers. I went to Catholic school in Jersey. Okay. So, so they you, might have done their own thing. Who the hell knows? Right. So in in New York, for the most part, it's like you know you're you want to be a ninety-five and up student. Even if you're Asian, you got a ninety-five. They're like, why do you have a ninety-five? Me, I would get a <laughs> sixty-five. Sixty-five was passing. Sixty-four, you failed. 
Oh. So that that was kind of how we that was like that key number that you wanted. Oh, sure, sure. Um, when you want to hit, hit so the exactly. So I always my entire GPA throughout high school was very low. If you're taking the average of all of my classes, because I always did so poorly in math, I just oh, always struggled wow. with that. Not to mention, I was also one of those classic Asian kids. I never had a Saturday for as long as I could remember. I never got to watch Saturday morning cartoons because I went to from nine to twelve. I was in Chinese school, and from twelve to six, I was in math, English, science classes. Oh my god. And Did I you also played violin too. Yes, I played violin. Play I played piano. piano. Oh, um, I went to ballet. I oh I did God. all of that. Like that was my life. I you know like, but but I knew that that wasn't what I wanted. And I told my parents time after time. And of course, they didn't listen because again, they're doing the best they can. They're sure. doing they're doing what they knew worked. Yes. And so of course, it was always very hard for me not being the top performing student. Not because I didn't want it, but I just couldn't. It yeah. just wasn't, if I could get to be a good <laughs> mathematician, I would love that. But yeah. it just wasn't me. Um, so so what does that instill in you growing up? Does that put in you a, a mentality of wanting to overcome that? Or does that put you in a space of what's my workaround? <laughs> my, what's my else? workaround? Hence yeah. Photoshop. <laughs> right. Yeah, so exactly. it was always what's my workaround? Also, what can I get away with? So it was a lot of that. Right. Um, and it wasn't That's like a bad too. kid. I wasn't like, you know, I never really skipped classes, you know, definitely like hung out with certain crowds that, you know, but I knew boundaries, right? right? But when it comes to like academia, again, like it was a huge thing for my family um, because I also came from an immigrant family where your ass, your ass will get beat. If totally, you yeah. Do not bring home the yeah, phrase oh, that yeah. you need. Oh yeah. Um, in my house was a belt or a slipper situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I had a hanger situation. Oh really? That was always fun. I with immigrants. had a fly swatter situation. That's what I loved about hanging out with other immigrant children because right. they'll be like, you know, like what do you get? You know, <laughs> I remember working at Journeys when I was in college. Oh, which one? Um, in Union Square. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I remember there was like a, a fellow uh, Latin employee and he was like, yeah, my dad will be like, pick a color and take out his belt because, you know, a leather belt, there's two different colors. Oh, what, there's a black side and a brown side. Yeah. You don't want any color. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just fun. And then, you know, the Korean Koreans would get it really bad too. Like I knew one Korean guy, his dad would make him plank and push up, like plank position and his dad would beat him and every time he collapsed it would just be worse oh really or like another would kid who just get thrown yeah like some crazy military shit right you know? my aunts and uncles would do the thing where they were put in a quarter my mom was the oldest of 10 kids so like there was a lot of kids to discipline like they would they would hold uh books yep. yeah yep, i've like, heard that one their, yeah with their arms um straight out for the listeners straight out and then if they uh if they dip below a certain level then they just get hit so it's like a, a stamina test well mine was if you can't answer the math question you get hit which of course did not work in my favor <laughs> i got hit a lot gotcha so that was always hard but you know it also made me very resilient and very very determined to to solve and find solutions. Sure, for things. sure, sure. So when you're in Parsons, um, how'd you find illustration? So I actually, you know, I mentioned earlier, my dream was always like fashion, right? right. Um, and so I had applied to FIT. I got rejected. Um, and were you always into streetwear? Were you very much in streetwear at the time? Yeah, that was like just a whole other like total life outside of academia, sure. right? Um, growing up in Queens, shoes first, everything else comes yep. next. Um, was a big fan of it. I did a lot of part-time jobs. Um, just to, you know, have that little extra spending money. And 
I went to Francis Lewis High School, which was kind of close to Fresh Meadows, and it was very close to Jamaica. So we would kind of take the bus there and just kind of walk around, hang out there by Jamaica Center, um, shop there. Mm And so, and then there was also flushing. So like your nameplates, your jerseys, your jersey dresses, your matching Jordans, your yep. North Face Steep Tech. Like that's like the type of shit that I grew up. Oh my God. And like Asian dudes wearing do-rags with G-caps. Remember that G-cap? It just says G in the front <laughs> in whatever font that was. Yep, yep. Um, you Everyone know, was like, guess, no, not sure. What is it? Right, right. You know, so that whole world of 90s hip hop yeah. was so deeply ingrained in the culture that I grew up with. It was, I mean, granted, a lot of the styles, if you look at it now, it's definitely would be flagged as appropriation. Sure. Given that it's like all different ethnic, like there will be like Indian Guyanese people or like Asian people dressed super fucking hood. And right. it's like, why do you look like this? You stepped out of some weird Hype Williams portal right. or something. Right. Right, right, right. But that I, was the norm. I actually openly question whether that is appropriation or not. Sometimes, you know, you know what I mean. Unless, unless it's from an ownership level of a brand, and I, this might be a hot take, but based on the 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 area, like it is literally everywhere. So <laughs> here's know? the thing: it's a fine line between appreciation and appropriation. I agree with that too. Very fine line, and it's and of car- of course. We live in a very sensitive world now, especially Absolutely. in America. So people are going to be sensitive. But I think, you know, the line is, I don't know exactly where the line is drawn, but like, I know for sure back then it was, it was definitely appreciation, right? So yeah, you have absolutely. like the Puerto Rican day parade, you got the lip liner, you have the the baby hairs gelled a certain way. Right, That right, was right, just right. our, you know, the bra strap look. Like yeah. that was, that was our norm. So, I mean, to me, that was an appropriation. Everyone else of all different spectrums of color dress like that. So yeah, I don't know sure. what you're going to tell me, but I know that that was my truth and I was living my truth and yeah. it wasn't really a thing. Um, well, I, I think in the world of like, you know, purely just, you know, Nike's baggy pants and like a Tommy Hilfiger windbreaker, you know, right. like yeah. a, and a, a nautica, a, a good na- little nautica jacket. <laughs> exactly. Maybe, uh, maybe a visor and maybe some goggles up top. Who knows? Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Like a little usher my way. Like, <laughs> Wow. Exactly. So that's, I I think that that world is what I personally was operating in. And then we all were, you know, that's the reality of it. We all were, but here's the funny part. Yes. Prior to the internet. So I have family that live in LA, um, in Arcadia, which is a predominantly like Asian, uh, neighborhood. So when I used to travel and visit my family, I'd be wearing my Echo Red tank top with my JLo jean jacket and some J's and my hair braided. And then I'd go see them and they'd be in Hollister Uggs and some rainbow flip-flops right. and be like, where are you coming from, young lady? Right. Like, why do you look like this? Oh, yeah. And that was the thing. I knew that many was... a young Asian girl with braids. Yeah. <laughs> we all did. You know, yeah. I would literally go to my best friend's house. Her older sister would braid my hair and we'd watch music videos. Yeah. And try to dance to it. I remember when I was in high school in, in New Jersey, I, uh, I had a lanyard. I had a FUBU lanyard. Yes. Right. And I love FUBU and I didn't really own that many things because going to the appropriation conversation, I, in my mind, it signaled this is a, a black owned company and I'm signaling something if I wear it. And I, this is something I openly thought when I was um, 16, 17. And I remember I was in Spanish class, Spanish three. And then I was. Ooh, you got to level three. I don't I, think I, I ever made it three. that far. Yeah, totally. And I was trash at it. Let me tell you, I remember nothing. Um, oh, little things. But. Um, I remember I had my lanyard. It was orange and blue to go with my uh, my pure players 
uh, uh, what is it, a cargo pants. And then uh, one of my classmates was like, hey, why are you wearing that? Why are you wearing that? And then he was really in my face about it. And then in my mind, I was like, okay, maybe this is something I need to pay attention to. You know, it was like a sensitivity, even like actually in the mid 90s that that hit me. So did you have, were you in a very diverse environment though? Or was were you I, one of the few Asian people, for example? Um, well, I grew up in, an, I, in New Jersey. I grew up in an elementary school system that was all black. And I remember in my school, it, from kindergarten to eighth grade, me and my sister were the only Asian kids in school. There were no white kids in school. I remember in second grade, I had a classmate who was white. Her name was Laura. Then she left after second grade. <laughs> and like that's how clear those memories are to me. And then I went into a much more diverse all-boys school um, for high school. And then there was like a bigger group of like Asian kids. My first Asian friend that wasn't like a cousin came when I was like 14, <laughs> cousin. you know? Um, but it right. was, but it was a diverse school. It was just all dudes. Uh, so it was just like a lot of masculinity and like a lot of like stupid, like boy fart humor, Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it, it was, there was a lot of that. And there was a lot of cultural pride too. Cause I think that's when I first experienced cultural pride. Um, because I was actually in a group, like in a class, I'd be in an English class and there'd be like two other Asian kids. I'm like, this is new to me, hmm. you know? Hmm. So, but, but just because of what I had experienced before, like I was all baggy pants, caps, like, um, Timberlands, and then like a huge blazer, like thinking I was a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know? And then I really didn't know much. I mean, you know, you realize as an adult now how much your upbringing and that environment plays into it. And like you said, someone had approached you about the way you were dressed and that, that changed your perspective, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I actually know a lot of other Asian people. It's a mixture. Like you grew up with a lot of other Asian people or people who looked like right. you or people who are really fobby or you were one of the few people in your upbringing and your environment where few people looked like you. Most of the other Asian girls were into white guys. You know, it's really, <laughs> yeah. so it really shapes your perspective. It and does. I, 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 as I'm, you know, older now, more mature now, like I'm like, man, I was so lucky to be able to grow up in this environment because literally you name the ethnicity, we got it in my school. Absolutely, We got it in the yearbook, yeah. you know? And, and this is literally throughout elementary, junior high and high school. And that was like, Francis Lewis is one of the most overcrowded high schools when I, when I was there mm-hmm. in all of, um, New York City. So there would be people using, you know, fake addresses and stuff like that to get their kids into the right. school. I get, I don't know if it was location Like a 90210 thing. Yeah. And it was just, I, I'm just so grateful to be right. in, to have grown up in that environment, let alone, you know, seeing, seeing other people with kids and have their kids grow up in New York. And it's just like this, even let's go back down to over the train that I take, the seven train. <laughs> yes. Few people have taken the seven train. Most people will be like, "Oh, I went to Shea Stadium, or I went to you know the U.S. Open." Mm-hmm. But if you typically take the seven train and you look at the train cart, mm-hmm. every person sitting next to each other speaks a different language, right? Which is fucking amazing. That is amazing. Like I love that. When I live in, um, when I come back, I I stay in Woodside, and Woodside is beautifully diverse. A lot of Southeast Asians, a lot of Thai. Uh, was predominantly Irish, actually, for a good few, like, decades yeah. um, before, you know, different ethnicity move, moved in. A lot of Filipinos, um, a lot of Hindi people. And 
it's beautiful. Like, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Like, it'll literally be like the Thai restaurant next to the Korean grocery store, next to the Irish pub, next to the, the Dominican right. Metro PCS. That's so dope, like, yeah. Block after, like storefront after storefront after storefront, and that is where I thrive. Right. I'm very comfortable in this hyper colored, diverse environment. So, yeah. in recent years, as we're talking about color and ethnicity and di- and lack of diversity, I see such a stark difference yeah. more than ever. It's true, right? And that, that's a real advantage now to be able to to feel comfortable navigating like such a multicultural space because a lot of people that grow up in less diverse areas get, become so uncomfortable, and then it, it you can feel that you feel, energy. They feel sensitive. Everyone's yeah. sensitive. They don't know how to navigate. And then thankfully, I'm so desensitized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of what I'm that that in fact is my norm, and I'm so blessed to not only have that upbringing in Queens, but also be working and living in New York. Right. Um, so let me take it back to Parsons for one minute. Um, Cause from, from a reference perspective, you hit on something that I, I think is interesting. The, uh, when you're in art school, right. And art school has, you know, there's a very specific type of kid. I think that, that decides they want to go to art school. Right. So uh, especially with, with the current state of design. Um, so, Hip hop, New York, um, like a, a lot of these references don't always associate themselves with art school, at least like, you know, which is might be more driven, at least from an academic level towards something that's a little bit more European, right? Or something slightly more colonized by nature. So did you ever feel at the time that like your references gave you a more interesting artistic reference point? So, um, you know, as a, as opposed to the kid who was like all about, you know, Swiss typography, not that that's so, a bad thing. Oh, I love that. I mean, yeah, which I love too. Um, we can nerd out about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, so I went into Parsons wanting to study fashion. Um, everyone in fashion, I mean, in, in Parsons starts off their first freshman year as what they call foundation year. Mm-hmm. So it's the foundation of the arts, no matter what your major is. And then sophomore year, you transition into whatever your major is that yes. are more core specific classes. Um, as soon as I went in, I saw the people that were going to be in my major and I did not want to be associated with them because they were so like fashiony. They were really rich. It's a private school. It was just like a whole other world. Like I'm from like the streets of Queens type of thing, you know, like I'm right. not really into this, like what season of Philip Lim are you wearing type of vibe. Right. Also, I don't have the money. Also, none of my friends are into that. Right. Um, so it was very, very different. And then, you know, gave me an opportunity to kind of be like, okay, well, what am I actually into? I'm into drawing. And so I decided to change my major to pursue illustration. Um, so then that opened up the entire world of commercial art. Yes. Being a fan of drawing and definitely my parents, we can talk about that later, but like the idea of my parents not being a huge fan of me pursuing the arts, obviously. Right. Um, Asian but, parents. Right. Asian parents, for sure. They definitely struggled a lot with the shame of telling their friends and coworkers what I was pursuing in school, you know? Um, what was your initial question? Oh, just like uh, uh, the the references of uh, of, of hip hop. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah and, so, and like what would otherwise be considered potentially like lowbrow culture. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So basically what happened was, you know, I, I was taking the same classes as any other student, mainly sure. studio classes. We'll have some fake New Yorker prompts where we'll create some editorial illustrations. And I took a lot of different classes. Um, and And then basically what started to happen was I have so much energy and I'm interested in all of these things. And I was learning some great stuff in school. And 
I wanted to figure out what I should be doing with my time outside of school. And not to mention, I was I was very fortunate where my parents were able to support me um, throughout college. So I wanted to make sure, you know, the Asian in me, make my parents proud and make sure they get their money's worth. And so uh, the hardworking Asian in me was able to kind of find a path in this world in terms of, okay, how can I make the most out of my time here in school? And so, well, four years in undergrad. And so what I, what I decided to do was actually um, get myself involved in internships. So my four years in undergrad, every free minute I had, I was either working part-time at one of the sneaker stores in Soho or Union Square. What sneaker stores were down there at the time? Soho, it was like Stardom um, and then another one on Canal Street. It's basically like a Michael K. Sure. You know, you go in there, they have your Adidas superstars, they have the Air Force Ones, they got some some diesel shoes. Yeah, they got some Clarks for the uncle in the back. Like, they had everything. So I was working part-time. I also interned with different internships. So my freshman year, I was with Ryan McGinnis. Second year, I was cleaning. I didn't didn't know that you interned for Ryan McGinnis. Cleaning silk screens. Nothing magical. Like, literally scanning things, cleaning silk screens. Loved my time there. I wasn't even a fan. I was just like... This is this like this is work. Like I just want shit to do, dude. Yeah, like I want totally. shit to do. I'm learning all this shit. My parents are paying all this money. I want to make the most out of it, you know. Second semester, um, that's when I started working for Complex. But it was, I mean, I have a story for all of how I got these internships, and we yes. only have so much time. <laughs> but I was able to get in. That's how I learned how to use InDesign, and that's what you know later propelled oh, yeah. into Undo. It was oh, one yeah. of those teaching a man how to fish. Absolutely, worked on InDesign is one of those. Like uh, entry level, not entry level. Like um, like start starter drug. What's the what's the uh, tree? Gateway, gateway gateway drug gateway. Yeah, it's like it's like the gateway thing. Well, Photoshop was my gateway. I was oh, exposed gotcha. to that maybe when I was ten. Oh okay. Oh that's right. Yeah, yeah. very early SATs, on. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. That I mean. So so I actually never learned InDesign in terms of my core curriculum for illustration. So so then you know Complex was a scary opportunity for me, and also I was a fan of the publication because it you know covered all this cool right. information How'd that you I get was into. How'd you get the complex at the time? Uh, I, I was always a fan since high school. And then one day I felt a certain type of way. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just see if I can get an in here. Mm-hmm. So I Googled all the names and I found people's Facebooks, not their uh, email addresses. So I wow. probably found someone in accounting's like email, uh, a Facebook. And I wrote them this message. I was like, hey, my name is Sophia. I'm a student at Parsons. I'm illustration here's a link to my portfolio i'd love to you know the usual yeah and that was i sent out maybe like a bunch of emails as as many facebook accounts that i could find i sent them a message and that got me an interview and i think at first they were just like okay this asian girl knows how to do photoshop let's just bring her in let's we needed help anyways we're stressed out sure and at that time internships were different and I didn't get paid for any of the internships I ever did. Not that I care anyways, but like the art director was much more involved. Like the art director definitely took me under his wing. His name's Tim Leong. Shout out to Tim Leong. He was art director up, over at Entertainment Weekly. Um, he was also at Wired um, and he's done a lot of great things. But, you know, him and the graphic designer that was with him really like worked closely with me, like fixed issues, really took time to teach me things, learned how right. to do a clipping mask. Like I didn't know how to do that. Right. InDesign's a difficult program to learn too at the beginning. Yeah. It's, so like, I it's had, like pulling off the world's longest band-aid. Yeah. But in the, and, and also not to mention the hockeys are different across the board from uh, oh, Illustrator, yeah. Philoshop. Yeah, they don't play well. Right, right. Yeah. But the cool thing is, you know, that was my playing ground to make my mistake. 
cupcakes, right? So I did that sophomore year, junior year, and then junior, senior, I was able to intern with another graphic designer. His name was Peter Chang. And he, you know, had worked for Supreme. He was working as a graphic designer for Undefeated, a New York thing, um, a lot of like streetwear brands. And yeah. me as a fan, I had the opportunity to then be a fan of streetwear, but also look behind the curtain to be like, okay, how do they even make these t-shirts or right. embroideries? And then learning about tech packs, graphic design. How does a fashion apparel streetwear designer think about colorways? How do we prepare these documents, work with vendors? How do we research stuff? And he really like, I mean, all of these people, I was so lucky where clearly they saw something in me. Yeah. I was just going with the flow with what just fell on my plate. But they like, had I, had they not corrected me all the times I fucked up, which is a lot. <laughs> and you have stories about how you fucked up? Any story? Yeah. Like I was at, an, uh, I work really, really fast. So sure. with Tim, my art director at complex, I would do things really fast and go to him and be like, well, this is wrong. And then I'd go back and this is wrong. Well, this, and I just keep making these mistakes and be that really annoying intern. Sure. That, that actually sing- sounds to me like a great intern. Yeah, but I was also wor- working way too, too fast, but my attention to detail was poor. Got it. And that's probably really frustrating. Sure. And that also carried over to my other internships too. Um, but yeah. And then the great thing was, you know, the guy who I had interned with for fashion stuff, streetwear fashion, he also shared a studio mate with a web designer. So then I learned how to design like e-commerce websites hmm. and little things like that because they needed extra help. They would just throw like a project at me if it was good and they were crunching on certain deadlines. They'd yeah. throw me like a hundred bucks and I'd be like, oh yeah. my God, they gave me money. This is so <laughs> cool. And it, for me, it was more exciting to like practice the skill, hone the skill more yeah. and more. So basically by the time I had graduated, oh, not to mention I also, uh, you know, took classes outside of my major. So I had everything, core curriculum, illustration. Oh but my also God, took you're like the Rushmore kid. Took typography, typography classes, children's book illustration, web coding, motion graphics, and then all the skills I learned with my internships. I just wanted to be a fucking beast. Yeah, I just totally. wanted to be like, now I have all these skills and when it's time for me to get checks, like I have these different streams of revenue and different skills that I can then further hone in on. Yeah. And that was the plan. And that's kind of fast forward to what I do now. And that's why it's like, that's why I started an agency too, because people right. are like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, <laughs> a little um, bit of everything, a little bit of everything without sounding like an idiot, you know? And sure. that's the tough part. Like everyone's an art director, everyone's a graphic yes. designer. And, and, and that's the difference too. Like here in this city, my friends and my immediate community, they'll be like, step aside, Sophia, let me take this. I'll take this answer for you, this question for you, you know, and just like help me out in conversation. Cause oftentimes unless I'm really on right it's hard for me to answer that question but now I, I've done it so much and can rehearse and say right, it with right. full confidence is your energy such that it's always on it's like are you always here or and if you're not here you're down here or do you have like middle like where, where are you at are you is it I'm, is it a I wide think, spectrum again being in New York City right I'm I'm cool with any of these gotcha if I'm getting into an altercation with someone in the subway, I can easily bump up here and then go sure. see a client and have a regular sure, sure, conversation sure. Yeah. versus I'm having time with myself, bumped into someone, got to be in work mode. Like I, it just comes with experience and practice and just being really open to whatever sh- like shit happens. This, this city of course will test you every fucking day. It's trying to kill you. Constantly. It's tr- Yeah. Constantly. And it can wear you down. And you know, that's where like the wellness aspect comes in, but it's, 
it's one big thing we say with undo is like anything before this was just practice. So like anything that I encounter, it's like, I've been through this shit a million times in different ways. Right. So with Undo, what really drew me to it was this idea of, as I was working out, it's this idea of an athlete's mentality or not even athlete, but when you go to the gym and say you're lifting, right? The first time you lift, you're not doing that good. You're getting everything right. But then you progress. There's this progression that happens with this, the human body right. and that same attitude can go into your workload and your threshold in terms of, how much you can push yourself, how much you can handle when it comes to annoying clients or a difficult project and squeezing in as many deadlines within your time frame. So that mentality then becomes very 360 and it's more of a lifestyle yes, for me. Yes, very much. Do you feel it yourself? Do you feel that you're fluid? Yeah, yeah. And I'm only that way because of, again, the environment I grew up in. When do you, when do you think became cognizant of your own fluidity? Because I don't think I, I realized that until like even recent history. You know? Probably when I was pulled out of my comfort zone, which is when I went to L.A. Really? And also just seeing the people around me too. Like, yeah, definitely being in L.A. made me so conscious of how much be- growing up in New York has contributed to my identity and why I work the way I do. For example, perfect example that I thought of. When you're about to go to the train, right, you're... For me, before I'm even going down the steps, I'm already grabbing my Metro card. This way I can swipe through and just be on the platform, Mm -hmm. keep shit moving, be as efficient as possible with every microsecond that you have versus walking down to the train. Oh, I'm by the turnstiles. Let me take out my wallet, take out my Metro card, swipe through. Like it's one flu. That's the, that's where the fluidity comes in. Right. Being able to move like that and, and maneuver through your environment with that fluidity. Yeah. And that's where and it's it not is. a barrier. What no. other people might perceive as the barrier is like not even a, a thing. Or great. Another great example is look, you're something happened to your train. <laughs> you got to be at that spot at 9am. Right. Make that shit work. Is right. it a cab? Is it another train's transfer? Do I walk a little bit and then catch another train? Like you make it happen. And our ability to adapt that quickly mm-hmm. to issues happening to us really stems from being in this metropolitan city. Right. Right, right, right. And that's, and that's actually, you know, without getting too deep into it and into the science and health aspect of it, that's extremely healthy for your brain, for you to be able to learn new things. Your brain is a muscle, right? And you don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again. You want to try new things that can only strengthen your brain more because your strength, it's like if you only, if your, I don't know, triceps are super weak, but you, you don't really like work that area out. You only focus on other muscle groups that's not going to help you. That's only going to weaken the muscle more. So what are ways that we can ignite and awaken those muscles? And again, healthy brain, healthy, everything else. Right. So when you, when you graduated from Parsons, right? Um, I I think I, I met you when, uh, when you were working, uh, with Jeff Staple, right? And, uh, I think actually the first time I met you, I was thinking about this today, was at a suicidal tendencies concert at House Vans? of Vans? Ooh, like years. And I remember years that. Ago. Yeah, and I remember the reason it's burned in my brain is because I had a broken foot that night, and then I was scared of getting stepped on in the mosh pit. But I remember meeting you there. I don't know what the circumstances were, but I do recall that. And then um, I, for a long time, for at least a year or two, I thought of you as as a great illustrator. 
you know, and like, yeah, and like, I loved your um, means a lot coming from you because oh, Rich thanks. is a famous and amazing, highly established illustrator himself. I mean, I uh, try. casually. Uh, let, yeah, me, let me not point whatever. to all the trophies and and uh, <laughs> awards that I have. Yeah. I've yet to win an award, by the way, Get and the I can't fuck wait out of here. So that happens. Really? One day. Well, yeah. maybe, do you have to. You have to apply that. Maybe. You don't, oh, I, maybe oh, you don't I don't apply. apply. I thought they just give them to you. <laughs> I thought awards and success was just Amazon Prime. You know, you add it to uh, card and it just shows up. Well, yeah. Well, now it is. Now <laughs> I'm it is, joking. Actually. I'm joking. <laughs> um, so, so um, I remember that you also did a, a collab with uh, with uh, Eight Arms. Or oh, what is it? Eight, uh, Eight Arms and Black Mist. Yes, Eight Arms and Black Mist. Yes. And then I remember I was also about to do a collab right afterwards, and then it stopped. Like you were the last one, right? And um, oh, what the where was my track? Okay, so. You've built a brand that's really, really lifestyle based after that. So what was your key from breaking out from essentially someone who who makes the thing who and a lot of illustrators, people don't even really know anything about them as human beings. You know, it's like, it's true. It's true because I think a lot of illustrators, to be honest, um, and there's a reason why I personally also wanted to do other things was um, I, I just don't love to be at my desk all day. You know, making the thing and on my Wacom tablet. So, like, what what was your your impetus to to break out of that? And like, what were the steps? Was it an active movement into other things and like keeping a foot in illustration? Like, what was what was that move for you to build that lifestyle brand? Well, I think first I've always had this attitude of like, hey, let's try it. If we don't like it, then we know. Like, let's test out what my that's the best way for me to understand what my strengths are and my weaknesses are. Right? I took a motion graphics class really didn't really like it, wasn't my wheelhouse, and now I know, right? right? So that's always been my attitude towards everything else in terms of work. So different work opportunities fall on my plate, and it was just, let's try it, whether it was sneaker design or apparel or being, I mean, being a project manager for, like, working full-time as a project manager, working as a web designer, um, starting a magazine. Like, it, like, the opportunities came, and I wasn't afraid to say no, I was like, oh yeah, let's just try it. Like, right. I feel confident. Like, I know enough to try this. Do I know enough to try it and give it a shot? And most importantly, I had already conditioned myself to try to do all these different things from from um, my college days, my undergrad right. days. So it really came organically as far as a brand goes. Like, even if when people it felt like it was organic. Yeah, when people describe me as a brand, I'm like, oh, that's so weird. But like. I can see why people think that. Um, is it weird though? But, I don't but think to it me, is weird. it's just an extension of self. I go to the gym. I'm an illustrator. I'm a designer. I'm going to do things that are related to that world. Yeah. I'm into tech. I'm into health and wellness. Um, I'm into streetwear. Organically, like my skills are going to speak to those communities because it's an extension of self. It's what I'm interested in. And I think that's that's really how... Going back to your initial question of how hip hop, streetwear is not something that's touched on traditionally in art school. Right, For not. me, I had these skills. Um, I don't know anyone in art school that wanted to be a sneaker designer. <laughs> you know? Well, now there's a lot. Now, now actually, now FIT, do. there's a sneaker, like, in, which is beautiful and, and great Locker to see. Locker just invested in that, uh, that Oregon school. Wow, I had no idea. Oh, uh, Pencil. Pe- yeah, Pencil, yeah. Hallelujah. Because I actually know people who were very involved in that to, to, to help build it, which is awesome. But... Um, for me, it's just finding that that um, niche culture that yeah. spoke to me. And I think that's what people forget about a lot of times, which is, what are you into? Stop trying to impress everyone else. Do what you want to do. 
I was into sneakers. I, you know, and some of my best work to 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 this date are self projects. I had watched Coming to America for the first time. Loved the show. Thought it was so cool. I was living right by Queens Boulevard, and it made sense to me. Oh, that's right. Did an illustration. And people love it. You know, I'm still selling like prints of it to this day. Oh, that's so fun. And uh, Air Force Ones were a very iconic shoe for me growing up. It was very, something very personal to me. When I finally first got my first pair, because it was so pricey at the time, you know, I wore it to all the handball courts. I wore it all throughout high school. It was a very iconic visual for me and I and I did a watercolor illustration of it someone got a tattoo of it people are buying prints of it and I'm like okay cool like th- I realized that what resonates with me oftentimes resonates with so many other people and yeah. and, and I think that's what kind of keeps it going for the most part and so yeah. it wasn't like I'm gonna be, you know start an Instagram and get lots of followers I'm gonna I'm gonna you know see if Puma wants to give me a sneaker collection it was organic I worked really hard and in the right time, they came, approached me when I when I was ready in their yes. mind. So, when did when did Undo start it start to form itself for you? Um, Undo was around. So I graduated in two ten, and Undo kind of came into fruition around two thousand thirteen. And the reason why I got involved with it was because my body was breaking down from working in front of the computer all day with. I, I may have had a tablet. Yeah, I had a tablet back then, but there were, you know, a lot of days with vector artwork where I didn't have a tablet and that was oh, very Oh, what does painful. that mean? It's like carpal tunnel and bad posture? Uh, so, like, so yeah, about? bad posture, shooting pains in my traps, in my lower back. Um, oh, like real, shooting, actual. Shooting pains, like, like pains. Like, I can't fucking grip this Wacom tablet anymore. And, you know, as I'm sure you've worked in the industry for some time, you understand the importance, especially when you spend a lot of time in front of the monitor, yep. the importance of your 90 degrees, right? Yep. 90 degrees of your waist, line your knees your floor ignore my posture right now by the way yeah yeah yeah. and even like even like you sitting um with your elbow touching the table at a 90 degree so that your shoulders aren't hunched over or being overstretched and so that, that was a very fun very painful learning experience for me and i was feeling it i was just i just had so much pain and i was like maybe 22 at the time and i knew this is not normal for me mm-hmm. and so that got me into going to the gym, going to the gym. I started working out with a trainer because that was the only way, actually Jeff told me about this, but that was the only way I could pry myself away from my desk because I'll be doing that thing where you're not drinking water, you're skipping meals, you're pumping in caffeine, you're eating by it's like 4 p.m. because you're like, oh, I forgot. And you know, you're holding in your pee and you're doing all sorts of terrible things that you don't even physically are conscious of because you're so into your work and you love what you do. And so um, going to the gym got me into, you know, eating better because I was slaving away and working out and I wasn't, it didn't feel good, but I knew it was, I needed to physically move. And then that opened up this whole world of wellness. And I got involved with undo because just through mutual friends in the creative community. Undo started out as a running, you know, crew or not, not even crew, just community people. Hey, I'm running three miles. Come hang out. We're going to meet up at Stussy or Read Space, drop off our stuff, do three miles around the city, and then we'll kick it, whatever. Right. And then that was a ripple effect. And then I had met Robin and Vasha, who were the founders of Undo. Um, Robin was, uh, she was already a runner. Um, she was also a copywriter for Nike women at the time. Oh, here in Vasha, New York. Yes. And Vasha was, you know, also involved as a creative in, um, 
just a lot of like sports stuff in New York. And, and basically Vasha and I started collaborating a lot. Um, we, we met, we both had the same synergy of, Hey, what do you do? What do I do? Okay, let's work together. Oh, I know a bunch of other people that would be great to work with us and so forth. And so, um, we started working together a lot. We started to realize we worked really well. And I had this break in my, um, just in my schedule to be like, Hey, should I kind of want to work on a print project. What if we turned this entire ethos of undo? And at that point in time, it was kind of this great community of creatives. Um, we were kind of getting some brand support here and there. And so it was the perfect timing of what would this community of fashion, health and wellness, creatives, if it manifested itself in a print publication, what that what would that look and feel like? Right. And then that gave birth to the first issue. And then we kind of just- When did the first issue release? 2013. And we kept it going because it was like, let's do it for ourselves. It's fun. It's stupid financially because we fund it ourselves. But it's such a fun and great way for us to be able to work with other creatives, like-minded creatives, illustrators that I follow, artists that I know, writers, people who are looking to to share their stories and you see lives are actually changing. An illustrator will be like, you know, I drew something for you guys and I'm really into the publication. I've been following you guys since. And the next thing you know, they're working out. They started taking Pilates class. Then it was a ripple effect. There's such a strong ripple effect for people, which I find very empowering because at the end of the day, and I'm, I'm starting to just literally recognize this as of like two, three years ago. But if I wanna keep doing what I'm doing, I need to best understand the machine that operates right. It's the so funny creativity. talking to you like I immediately want to yeah. fix my posture. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you get it. So, um, you know, whether uh, this new thing that I just started this year was I started, well, two things. I started forcing myself to step away at lunchtime because I used to always eat lunch at my desk. No big deal. was normal for me. Right. I don't understand the big deal of like needing to step away. But that actually helped my mental clarity. If I really wanted to work, I'd bring a notebook with me. This way I'd write my thoughts down um, instead of staring at a computer. And it gave me a really good mental visual break for me to, you know, when I get back to my desk, ready to go hit the ground running again. And then also forcing myself to eat. And so my body can focus on eating rather than munching on a salad for six hours. Sure. Sure. Because then I'll eat really slow. I eat it when I can. I'm just shoveling things in my mouth. The other thing that I've been doing that's been really helpful. And I, and I write about, I started writing, not like writing, writing. I'm not a very good writer, but just kind of adding this content on undoordinary.com where I'm kind of sharing my tips on how I keep shit in order mentally and physically in order for me to power through all the work I have um, that I signed myself up for. Um, The other thing I started doing was, you know, a big part of our body is made up of water. Huge percentage of our brain is also very dependent on water in addition to all the other organs. So as soon as I wake up, I try to drink two cups of water, at least one cup. Because that immediately wakes up all of our organs. And I'm totally one of those people, because obviously being a freelancer for so many years, I love rolling out of bed and rolling straight to my computer. But we also know what happens because you just plow through things and then you're skipping meals and you're not not doing everything else. Right. Um, And I think- Are you an early morning person? Oh, fuck no, dude. (laughs) I'm totally an person. And again, going into that, Understanding my sleep schedule, understanding my chronotype, which is basically different sleep profiles that people have. Early bird and night owl are two of them. There's two other ones. We write about it and undo all the time. When you understand, and all of this is regulated through hormones and a lot of it is hereditary. When we understand what makes us tick and what makes us work, 
physically and biologically, then that only empowers us more with how we work. When So there's this great book. It's called The Power of One. It's written by this doctor called Michael Bruce. Um, Dr. Michael Bruce, he's a sleep doctor. He basically managed WebMD's entire sleep department and does a lot of great public speaking. I'm a huge, like, nerd fan of his. Um, but The Power of When, his book is basically about the perfect time. When you understand your chronotype, you then understand the best time for you to have sex, ask for a raise, raise, write your most important emails, get on your work calls, and then do the actual creative work if you are a creative. So it's all actually dictated by hormones. We think it's just our minds, but it's the sun, it's our hormones, it's our water intake, when we're fueling ourselves, um, when to go to the gym. And all of that is actually just within our DNA. And until we understand that machine to that scale, you know, like we already know through practice, yeah, I'm good at emails at a certain day or I'm, I'm, you know, uh, or a certain time of the day. I'm good at, you know, doing my creative stuff at a certain time of the day. And it's great for us to be self-conscious of that. Yeah. But sometimes the science is then further proof and, and can actually empower you as a creative. Right. So. Uh, when I moved to, when I moved to Portland for a couple of years to work at swoosh right i for some reason casually casually yeah right um it rained all the time there well so when you go just make sure you bring an umbrella or don't because everyone's used to it and apparently that's normal so i uh apparently my body took some massive shift and then i became the early morning dude and then i would wake up at like five in the morning and i still do it now where i wake up at five in the morning i become like morning gym guy and then all of a sudden I'm sending my emails out in the morning and I'm like most productive first thing in the morning. And then now it's something I've continued into my current life, but it was only a shift that happened like really less than five years ago. And uh, it was a coastal thing. Have you experienced anything with that coastal shift for you when you moved out, le- out West? So the the book and a lot of that study actually talks a lot about um, your chronotype changing as well from different age groups. Right. So when it's, it's an aging thing, it's also environmental um, for me, I'm definitely more, they call the profile is called a bear. So typically we raise, we, we, we wake around like nine or 10 and this is naturally what would, what time would you naturally wake up? Like when do your eyes open type of situation? It's not mm-hmm. alarm or whatever. I naturally wake around nine or 10 in terms of I'm awake. I'm ready to hit the ground running. Let's get shit done. Not right. like a, Oh, let me give myself like three hours before I wake <laughs> up. Right. That's different. And so society's really obviously contributed to that a lot. And then, you know, I sleep around 10, 11. I need a lot of sleep. I'm kind of a 10 to 12 hour person. Sure. That's and, you're, how, and you're flying first thing in the morning. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be fine. I kind of work around that too. Um, but, you know, in recent, in, in recent years, because of my dogs, they wake me up really early in the morning. And so I've kind of adjusted to that. But in the same way, I know that when I'm being woken up at 7 a.m., I'm not functional as a human. However, this is the way it is. How do I adapt? And so, you know, one big thing I try to do is I turn my um, my phone on airplane mode. So I literally choose when I want to allow all of the messages and emails to come in. I then use that time in the morning to read or, you know, clean the apartment a little bit, but just focus on me time. Yeah. Obviously now, and it's a big trend to really talk about disconnecting and connecting with our, with our digital devices. And, and so I've really kind of utilized that time for me to reset, recharge in that 
sense because my mind is really slow in the morning, but I can still function to some extent and let me do what works for me within that time frame. So it's that a lot of that self-awareness that contributes to my efficiency. And I'm all about efficiency. Right. I want to be as efficient and, and as productive with every second that I have. Yeah. So how do you know when you're about to hit a red line? Like when, when are you like in overdrive? Are you conscious of those moments? Like what, what, what are the warning signals for you? Do you ever feel that? What do you mean? Like a red line? Oh, like goes for me. Like I like to do like a lot of crazy things, like hence even like this podcast really. So I, in my late thirties, I've now become conscious of when I'm overworking myself and I'm, and I, and I'll victimize myself for that, you know? So like, do you, do you feel that? Like when you, when do you know that you are about, are doing too much or you don't feel that? Um, that took a lot of years of fucking up, right? like being in panic mode. Um, and there'll be times where I still do it. Right. right. So, so what I've been calling it is a sweet spot, right? So similar to that chart that you have over there where it's a lot of horizontal <laughs> right. timelines. Well, that's my chart of stress. Right. <laughs> Those are all the shows that are coming out. So, so in terms of uh, horizontal timelines, right. Every job, every client, every project is its own timeline. So you have this delicate balance in this dance when you're a freelancer of current projects, projects that are almost about to be out, projects that just started, and new projects that are coming in. Yeah. And the sweet spot is when all of them overlap all at the same time. That's what I call the sweet spot. Right. And that is the shitty situation that I often, not often, but occasionally find myself in where damn girl, you definitely overcommitted yourself here. Right. And you know, in recent years, it's because, which is a great problem to have. Right. Right. And what I always tell other friends that are freelancers who are just starting out when it rains, it fucking pours. Yep. And when it's slow, it is like the Sahara desert and you think your life's going to end. Um, and I think in, in time, a lot of that has been the ability to say no, which has been really difficult for me mm-hmm. because I, I'm not someone who just takes big projects. I take small projects. I take projects that I'm passionate about. I'm also passionate about way too many things, clearly. Um, And so I have a difficult time saying no for different reasons because a lot of times, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this where it's like, Rich, I'm going to get my first tattoo and I really want you to draw for me. Rich, um... I'm getting married and I really want you to do my wedding invite or my baby's having their fifth birthday and a really you know and these are the small types of projects all those are very familiar yeah I love it I would love to do and I really want or or you know there's sometimes they're like I do it for myself like one of my really good friends had their first baby I want to draw like a little portrait for them that they can hang in the baby like I have these little self projects that I give myself yes which then contributes to more of that stress yes and so it's being that conscious of your current situation your workload your ability as a human yes um to know where the threshold stands and when to say no to yourself or to others just because you can't, which sucks. And then, you know, the New Yorker in me is like, look, money comes first. I'm out here to try to chase that check so I can pay the rent and, you know, all of these types of things. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's re- again, it all just comes down to experience and awareness. Like, you have to make these mistakes. Yep. There's no, like, I can tell you because you will never know how shitty that feeling is. And, and learning from it. I did it. I've definitely like can recall like probably six, seven occasions where I felt like that. And most recently was just a couple of weeks ago. So I'm still doing it and mm-hmm. I'm still learning. So do you think you're ever going to move back to New York? I mean, whew, I'm praying every day. I ask everyone to pray for me and I hope so. My heart's here. It's, it's where I thrive. Thankfully, it doesn't affect my 
my income and my yeah. work as much, but I would love to as um this is this is the city for me. This is yeah. where I thrive. Yeah. So um, so just a couple last questions uh, before we wrap up. Uh, do you do you have an optimal version of yourself? Like, do you, is there a vision of yourself that you are actively working towards, or are you so fluid that you that you don't really see that? Um, you know, you know, I think that's similar to a question that people ask me a lot of times, which is like, "What's like your dream? What's the dream goal?" Right. You know, and. I'm kind of humble bragging here, but I've been doing it for 10 years. Like, that's my dream. This is a dream that I set out to have. Granted, there were shitty moments and there's always like freelancer moments where like work is so slow and I'm like, oh my God, this is the end. I got to go look for a job. I got to go apply at Dwayne Reed down the street, you know? (laughs) And I have no shame doing that. I have no shame working on small projects because it happens. And it's that that fluidity, right? That translates through even when it comes to my, my judgment. Um, but the ideal self is this. The yeah. only thing I would want is geographically to be here in New York. So, so if you believe you go? in, well, I got married. Right. And that's, what's really keeping me there. And it's, it's bigger than just us. You know, we're big dog people. It's yes. our, our dogs are getting older. It's our parents. We're both only children. Um, his parents are in the West coast. His work is also based on the West coast. Understood. So Understood. it's bigger than me. It's not an end all be all thankfully, yeah. you know, um, the future is bright and I always try to be as optimistic as possible. And it's, it's not a problem that we need to fix. Thankfully. It's yeah. just, a that's a good, it's that's a, a good hope thing to have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in Oregon, I was coming back to New York every month just to visit like casual, like I would find excuses to find, to have work. Out Did here. you ever think of like transferring to Sush here? I, well, full transparency, that conversation, I was actively pursuing a conversation like that. And then, I'm uh, sure everyone in that, in yeah, that, exactly. But that's in that the, region was, but that's the thing. Like it was the, it's the type of world. And I'm sure you, you know, a ton of people that, that did that. There was, there was a big exodus from New York to the swoosh, especially around 2017, um, 2016, 2017, when the NBA contract was a hot thing. So there was all these resources like swooping in, right? And then, um, you know, you, you're you out there and then there is an attrition rate and there's a revolving door mentality where uh, you probably, if you can't acclimate to the environment because it rains all the time, it's obviously very different from New York for sure. Um, and also your, uh, your workload shifts. It's not like, and you're working on cool stuff, don't get me wrong, and you're seeing the future all the time. But the way that you pursue that work and the way that you navigate the the atmosphere is just different. The people are different. The vibe is different, and um, it's it's easy to feel isolated. And also let like you know, regardless of what the uh, what the quote unquote diversity situation is out there. For me and uh, my fiance Ali, like for we came back here actively pursuing the thing that we had missed which was, you know, the dynamic atmosphere of New York. Obviously, the career opportunities out here are just as rich out there. I got to feel, you know, like a a, a dream job and a, and a dream environment experience. I still have a ton of friends. And uh, we just miss New York. It was, you know, I miss taking the subway. I miss, you know, I miss walking down the street and like eating, uh, so stupid, but eating, uh, eating a mango on the subway. Isn't that dumb? I just miss that. I miss like buying an empanada on the street. 
Like I miss, bo- you, you know? know what I haven't had yet? I literally said I wanted to get it. Jamaican patties. Oh, get out. A bodega. Yeah. Jamaican patties. West Indian culture out there was so. Non-existent. Of yeah, course. Of so course. Lacking. Like, look, best way to describe. Are you a describe... hard taco, soft taco person? Hard taco. Really? Best way to describe a, um, a junior high school dance when I was growing up was, you know, you have your top 40s, a ton of merengue, salsa, bachata, and then a right. ton of dance hall. Yes. Yes, the dance hall situation like, out but there. But like, when you're Asian, you have to adapt. Yeah. You have to learn how to yeah. dance to all of these songs. <laughs> so I know how to do. So I, I was literally commuting yeah. and listening to salsa all day. And sometimes I'm like, I wonder if people looked at the music so that I listened funny. to and they're like, why? That's so funny. Yeah, I would walk the campus listening to like Sean Paul's Infiltrate. And then people are like, what are you listening to? I was like, forget it. <laughs> you don't know. Like, and it's And again, it's not like, appropriation or no, appreciation. It's and it's not even it's it's appreciation but it's also like I grew up with this. Yeah. I this hear it in is the street. Home. This it, is home. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It was at every dance, like every, every car that was going down the street would play it, you know? It's culture. You miss yeah. culture. Yes. Totally. So what's next for you? What's the immediate thing they're doing? I know you were here for uh for Doc Martens. Yeah. How did that event go? That was good. Could yeah. have been better. It was also Air Max Day, so you know. Right, Air Max Day. It was, it was tricky, but lots of lots of kids came by, That's so I great. got to draw on their shoes, which was really fun. Got to really see uh, where future generations are going. Some right. good, some a little stark. Um, and what's next? Um, everything's really good. Like lots of really interesting things on the horizon. Um, I wouldn't for a moment. A couple weeks ago, I was really overwhelmed when I was living that sweet spot portion of time but you know a lot of great opportunities that could lead to very interesting trajectories but I think at the end of the day like I was just telling a friend this earlier my skill sets are my skill sets right it's illustration design I have a skill that I can always fall back on you know whether someone needs a portrait done a birthday card done a tattoo like there's that's that's the most important thing that people forget in this digital day and age yes is the skill like the the skill, the human hand, the skill, it's always going to be there. So, All right. Yeah. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Good. I hope I'm one of the fun people. That's me being Asian and competitive. <laughs> I, I hope I'm the most fun or one of the top five, top three in the class. <laughs> top three for sure. Sophia, thanks. So that was really great. And I love that we end on a note of Asian competitiveness. It really hits close to home for me. So you can find Sophia Chang at SEMI.com, E-S-Y-M-A-I.com. And on social media, she's at S-E-M-I, E-S-Y-M-A-I. And also you can just see her literally everywhere. Her work is all over the place and it's great. So be on the lookout for that. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts. And if you want to hear all the episodes, just go to firstjanburden.com. That's first jen g-e-n burden.com and also on instagram we're at first gen burden uh, and me your host rich t you can find me at rich underscore t-u on instagram and social media so thanks to des jen ben sound on music full season four coming very soon working out a lot of those details a lot of those guests and a lot of good stuff along the way everybody be safe thanks <laughs>